Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you, and I want to just send greetings from Second Parish, uh, who is a little closer to you now since we're uh, over in Scarborough uh, on 114. And uh, I was just thinking, I was, I was sitting there, that our two congregations, I believe, are actually the two oldest congregations uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian uh, Church. We've got you beat by two years, uh, 787. Um, but it's, uh, it's wonderful to see the Lord's faithfulness uh, to our churches uh, throughout the years, and it's something certainly uh, to celebrate. I also am so very excited uh, about your new pastor, your, I guess he's your pastor-elect, um, and I was there to witness his ordination exam the other day, and uh, I, the, I've been around long enough to see a lot of ministers come through the OPC, and, uh, and I will tell you that Seth has that rare balance of theological uh, acuity and pastoral sensibility. And the guys like that don't always come along. And so um, I'm thankful. And I'm looking forward to get, getting to know Seth even more. Well, the Old Testament reading this morning is from Leviticus chapter 1. And so follow along with me uh, uh, in your hearts as I read Uh, Leviticus 1, as our Old Testament reading. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd... Let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make an atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord." If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep, or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. And he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar." 
It is a it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out out at the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. This is the reading of God's word from the Old Testament. And then our New Testament reading just two verses this morning from Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. This is God's word. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we come this morning and we we pray that you would show us the sweetness of the cross of Christ. We pray that you would show us what that means for our lives as those who have been saved but by grace and through faith in Christ. We pray for the Holy Spirit who we've confessed as the Lord and giver of life, but also the one who opens our minds to understand your word, who convicts us when we need to be convicted and encourages us when we need to be encouraged, Lord, and comforts us when we need to be encouraged, when we need to be comforted. So send your spirit, particularly in the preaching of your word, open our minds, convict our hearts, Comfort us. Encourage us. Father, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look for just a few minutes this morning at actually verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. Now let me just orient us to where we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Paul, in the first chapter of Ephesians, sort of took us to the heights of heaven as he talked about uh, that we've been chosen in love before the foundation uh, of the world, that we've been adopted as God's children, uh, that we've been loved and chosen before we were even born. And we, we, you tackle there in chapter 1 some of the most mind-bending, if I can put it that way, mysterious teachings of the Bible that you will ever find in the Bible. And Paul continues that in in chapter 2, as he talks about being dead in trespasses and sins, but made alive together in Christ. And then he starts to talk to us 
in chapter 3 about the impact that that is to have on the church and who the church is. He talks about unity. And he talks about what the church is to be about as far as all of us moving toward maturity to become more and more like Jesus. And then in chapter 4, you get this therefore statement. In which Paul is kind of saying, you know, in light of everything that I've said about your adoption and your election and your salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this is how you are supposed to live in the world so that you can be salt and light to those around you. And so he starts to talk about putting off and putting on in chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, he talks about not lying and not stealing and speaking kindness to one another. And he's really pressing in at the end of chapter 4 about what the Christian life should be. But he wants to make sure in everything that he does that you and I know that everything we are called to is grounded in and founded on and driven by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he reminds us, right? We just looked. Be imitators of God, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He never wants the gospel to get too far out of our sights. So this morning, we could look at what it means to be imitators of God. We're actually going to do that because sometimes Paul talks and he writes like a psalmist writes in which he introduces an idea and then furthers that idea in the second line. That's what Paul's doing here in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. What does it mean to be imitators of God? Well, it means a lot of things, but for Paul here, and we're going to focus on verse 2 this morning, for Paul here, that looks like walking in love. I'm just going to keep this passage before you so that we can sort of dissect it and take it apart. The Lord is showing us the sweetness of the cross here, but the first thing that he wants to show us two things when he's talking to us about the sweetness of the cross. The essence of the Christian lifestyle or the essence of the Christian life and to the foundation of the Christian life. The essence of the Christian life and the foundation of the Christian life. And it all revolves around the cross. Walk in love as Christ loved us. This is, in one sense, the most simple teaching there is. This is sort of Christianity 101, right? If you want to sit down with a new Christian or even someone who wasn't a Christian and gave them the heart and soul of the Christian ethic and the reason for it, 
Here it is. Walk in love. But it's also one of the things with each other that we struggle with. And in our culture of social media where Christians are often interacting with each other on social media about controversial issues from pandemics to elections to whatever the case might be, love is not often the thing that you see displayed there. Often we see Christians biting and devouring each other. What have we lost sight of when that happens? Love. Even more, the love of the cross. The sweetness of the cross. We've lost sight of a a passage like this. Be imitators of God. What does that look like? Walk in love. Yeah, but, but a mad walk in love. But what this person did to me was wrong. Walk in love. I'm angry. Be angry if it's justified. But walk in love. (laughs) And the first thing that we want to see here is the essence of the Christian life. And that we can never, ever separate doctrine and practice. Let me say that again. We can never, ever separate the Bible's teaching on any subject and the practice of it in our lives, the way that we live. They must be welded together. Like he does here in this simple but profound testament about substitutionary atonement. Right in the middle of all this practical advice, he says, you should live this way because Christ loved you. He gave himself up as a sweet-smelling aroma, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. There, yes, there is no practice, good practice, without doctrine. We, we, we believe that. But the reason that we walk in love and that we're called to walk in love toward each other is that there was a man who was also God who offered himself up not to show us how it was done, not to show us how to be good friends, not to just show us how to sacrifice for our friends, but he stood in our place and was condemned in our place. Paul even references God's decree of that in Ephesians when he says, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons. We cannot talk about how to walk in love as Christians without tying it and hitching it to this teaching. We're going to talk talk a lot about love today, but... But 
there's a lot of talk about love today in our culture at large. But if our love is not hitched to the wrath-satisfying work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not Christian love. There have been movements in the church and outside the church that go something like this. Maybe you've heard it. Love unites. Doctrine divides. So what we really need to be about, all about as Christians, we need to be all about love and leave doctrine at the door. We need Christians who love. But don't say too much or anything about atonement or sin or substitution or God's judgment. There's a desire for an ethic of love without spirituality. By the way, this makes no sense. There are no practices, right, without religious belief. There are no practices without religious beliefs, and we're not just talking about Christians. Nobody has a practice that doesn't have a religious belief behind it. Everybody, and what is religious belief? Everybody has fundamental commitments which drive their practices. Every human being on this planet is a worshiper. And what they worship drives the way that they live. And those are religious values. That's doctrine. (laughs) And so values grow out of beliefs. And so we are not going to talk about love without atonement. (laughs) Without grounding it in the atonement of Jesus. Because nobody talks about the values and beliefs that they have without religious commitments. And there's no way for a true Christian to have a life of love unless we believe that Christ died for us. And to to the degree that we have a grasp on that doctrine, that teaching of substitutionary atonement, we will walk in love. And if we're not walking in love... We need to dig into that teaching in the scriptures even more and see the glory of it and the beauty of it and the sweetness of it. And we sing hymns that go something like, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. So there's no practice without doctrine. And so we don't want to fall into the trap of saying doctrine divides and love unites. Everybody has a doctrine that drives their life. Everyone lives their lives based on certain fundamental beliefs that drive how they live. Now, we should warn ourselves with this, though, too, right? It's absolutely possible to have Good doctrine, but it doesn't drive you to love. That's why Paul warns us, right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 
you can speak with the tongue of men and of angels. But if you don't have love, it's like a really annoying noise. That's what he is saying. You can understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. You can have the right teaching and the right doctrine, but without love. Paul actually says something very, very what sounds harsh to us. You are nothing. (laughs) And so we're not going to divide doctrine and life, but we must be careful to say that my I have the right doctrine, but that doctrine does not impact our hearts to love. And we know what happens. We know what that looks like when, you know, we have, we know doctrine so well that we can pick somebody's words and phrases apart. We can pick their teaching apart. But as it hasn't led us to the humility of love, the gentleness of love, the patience of love. And so we're not going to separate doctrine and practice. We can't do it. Nobody does it. But second, this is another principle that we want to get more and more familiar with. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Love is the summary of the Christian life. Love is the summary of the Christian life. Again, be imitators of God, Paul says right here, as dear children. What does that look like? Walk in love. Walk in love. Everything flows out of this, and this whole picture of walking in love is so important. It's life language. It's, it's language describing something that you do without even thinking about it. It's so natural. Did you think about the fact that you were walking when you walked into church? You're like, okay, one step in front of the other. Maybe you, maybe you are. Maybe you did. Maybe sometimes you do. I know when you, when, when you get older, you definitely do. If I were to go from my kitchen in my house into the living room and do a cartwheel into that living room, I couldn't do it anymore. I'd get dizzy. But if I did, I would have to think about it, right? I would think about how to do it right. I would have to think about how to do it without hurting myself. I'd have to concentrate. I'd have to try hard. But if I just wanted to go from my kitchen to my living room and walk from my kitchen to my living room, I would do it almost mindlessly because it is so natural. And that's what love should be like for us. Our love for each other. 
It should be something that happens so naturally that it should be so much a part of our day in and out, hour in, hour out. Don't cartwheel into love. Make it natural. And and anybody can cartwheel into love, right? If we think hard enough and try hard enough and but Paul says no walk. A Christian life is one in which love is so natural and routine in one sense it's effortless. Here's here's a good test for us. If someone, if you were to go to someone and say, describe me in three or less words, would loving be one of them? Now, what does love mean? Again, we're not separating doctrine and practice. Go look at 1 Corinthians 13. It's one of the best summaries of love. And ask things like this. Am I habitually irritable or habitually patient? Am I an approachable person or am I short, curt, don't bother me, get me out of here? Am I proud thinking that I know the answers to everything? I've got the right view of everything. And if everybody in the world would just think more like me, the world would be a much better place. Are we seeking to be like Christ, gentle and lowly in heart? And listen, I'm not calling us to be doormats. I'm not saying don't stand up for the truth. Paul tells us to speak the truth, but what? (laughs) How does he qualify it? Speak the truth in what? Love. Love. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, speak with the tongue of men and of angels. If you don't have love, Paul says you're a phony. can be insightful about spiritual things. Wise in applying the word of God. But if you don't have love, Paul says you're you're nothing. You no doubt have seen on the internet or social media or if you're just reading magazines that have to do with the church, pastors of large churches that people have been flocking to and they've been outed as bullies and hateful. And and what's the problem? They're not walking in love. Paul goes on to say, you can give everything that you have to the poor and even give your body as a sacrifice. Be a martyr. But if you don't have love, it profits nothing. Preaching skills, administration skills, missionary skills. The list could go on and on and on. 
and on. But if our lives are not lives of love, here's the hard thing. And this is the thing that stings a lot. Paul, is, Paul seems to say we're, we're, we're counterfeit Christians. Paul says, you want to see a true Christian? Look for someone who is walking in love. Not necessarily how smart they are and how witty they are or how conservative they are. Are they walking in love? Listen, there are so many things that are solid indicators. And by solid, I mean solid indicators of Christian maturity. Bible knowledge, doing the right thing, keeping the rules but they aren't unmistakable indicators. Love is. That's why Paul calls us to walk in it. And so leaders in the church, we can't miss that. Aspiring leaders in the church, we can't miss that. Influential people in the church, Those who others come to you and listen to you and seek your advice. Don't miss this. Love is the unmistakable indicator of an understanding of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be imitators of God? Verse 1. Walk in love. What's a summary of love? My life for yours. What's an unmistakable, um, what, what, what's a short summary of, of hatred or apathy? Your life for mine. Love says, I sacrifice for you. Hate, abuse, mistreatment, you always sacrifice for me. I will never sacrifice for you. How many times, just to press this home, in case you're dubious, that, uh, that, that, uh, and, and you're not sure that love is the unmistakable um, uh, mark of Christian maturity, how often does Paul or Peter say things like, and above all else, what? Love one another. And so how do we respond to events when people disagree with us? We become condescending and dismissive even when we're angry. Or do we ask the Lord to humble us with the humility of love, the patience of love, the gentleness of love? And then finally, I think we should add one more thing this this morning. You know, we're not going to separate doctrine and practice. We can never do this. So when we talk about love, it needs to be Christian love. (laughs) It needs to be biblical love. Yeah, we're called to walk in it. And then the purpose of the cross, if we can add this thirdly, 
is to make us acceptable. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's why we read Leviticus chapter 1. Three times in that chapter, the burnt offering was described as a sweet-smelling aroma. It was a, in the Old Testament, it was a voluntary offering. It was acceptable. It was satisfaction. Now, we could go into all the intricacies of that doctrine of sacrifice in the Old Testament, but it gets to the heart of Christianity. And it's sweet and it's simple. Jesus is a sacrifice. And getting to the reality of the Old Testament teaching, Paul is saying that Jesus' death on the cross was an atonement. It was a payment that brings two people together who were at odds. But because because of sin, our breach with God is a life breach. So, 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 to be at odds with God and to be outside of relationship with God is not just that we say bad things about God or wrong things about God or say with our mouth that we reject God or we do things that are bad and wrong or do things that are contrary uh, to God's word. It's not just verbal. It's not just behavioral. It is a life breach. It's a cosmic breach of relationship. And if that's the kind of breach it is, the payment must be cosmic. (laughs) The payment must be a life breach, a life payment. And, And the payment was Christ's life for ours. We sing in our place, condemned he stood. And there are a lot of people in our culture, sometimes even in the church, who hate the idea that God needs payment for sin. But, the, but if we deny the idea that we are so wicked that Jesus had to come and pay for the, for the, for the, he had to pay the payment for our sins. If we, if we deny that, we've just gutted the cross of its meaning. We've gutted it of its love, of its truth, of its sweetness, of its enlivening power in our lives. If Jesus, maybe we can even say more, if Jesus died to just show us how it was done, he is a madman. Maybe you've heard the the illustration, and we'll close with this. Maybe you've heard the illustration, you wake up um, and in the middle of the night and you realize your house is on fire, you smell smoke, you grab the kids, the dog, the rabbit, whatever else is living uh, in your house, and you all make it out safely. And you're standing there and you're watching the house on fire. 
and your neighbor comes out and asks you, did everybody get out okay? And you're like, yes, everybody is out. Everybody is safe. And he looks at you and he says, I'm going to show you how much I love you. And he runs into the burning house. Would you think that person is sane? That what that person did accomplished anything? No, you, you would say, that was crazy. <laughs> But if your spouse was in that house or your kids were in that house or you were in that house and they went in and rescued you and died in the process of doing it, you would say they were a hero. To deny the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ is akin to someone who saved someone who needed no saving from a burning house. And that's why we can never gut the cross of its true meaning. Jesus paid the wages of sin for us. His love was so amazing, it was so divine that it bridged that gap. It closed that breach between you and me and God. The cross will make no sense unless we believe that we are so sinful that only the death of the Son of God can pay the debt that we owe. (laughs) But when we believe that, it will be sweet to us. Let's pray together.